Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Fish is playing better than they have in 20 years, in my opinion. I've listened to every note. They're just collectively and individually playing as well as they have in, in a long, long, long time. Fish was a huge part of 2020 for me. Even though the tour was canceled, even though we never saw, you know, true live stream of Fish, they were an enduring aspect of the year for me. For me, Fish helps me get through everything, <laughs> the good times and the bad times. Speaking of good times, 2021 has just been incredible. Well, for more than half of my life, um, I've had the, <laughs> the incredible luxury, the incredible pleasure of being able to say this repeatedly, maybe not constantly, but repeatedly. Right now is a damn good time to be a Fish fan. We knew it in 1994, we felt it in 1995, we told each other it in 1997, we reminded each other of it in 2017, and we each had the thrill of realizing it in a whole new way and in a whole new needed way in 2020. And amazingly, again in 2021. But this year had a, a different worth to it as well. It felt like Fish gave us medicine as well as inspiration. 
I'm convinced this is one of the great years of fish with 93, 94, 95, 97, and 2003. I think this is one of the great, great years of fish. And I'm just so thankful that not only did we get the band back, you know, that as a simple aspect would have been such a blessing to just see fish and just see a fish show, but that we got what we've gotten from them. That was Brian Brinkman, one of the producers here at Undermine. And I agree, I'm convinced as well. We are in a golden age of sound when it comes to fish. Before Brian, we heard from Benji Eisen, RJB, and Jonathan Hart, some of my Undermine bandmates, if you will. I'm Tom Marshall, and I approve of their messages. season two of Undermine follow the artistry and the arc of a fish show, then this season finale can serve as the encore. No, we won't be doing a gentle landing song to bring you back down. Or an anthemic punctuation song. We won't be doing any of those songs. Instead, for our season closer, recorded on the heels of Fish's recent fall tour closer in Las Vegas, we thought we'd take a moment, or an hour, to shine a light on Fish's here and now. Or rather, Fish's then and there, because first, we have to bend time itself for a quick word from our sponsors. Where are we as a fish community in 2021 as the world still reels from a global pandemic that has deeply impacted everyone's lives? And by everyone, I mean far beyond the fish community. The pandemic has likely affected every human being on the planet. But what we're concerned with here, in our little corner, is how has it affected us as a fish community? And whereas the first nine cubes, that is episodes, of this season examine different parallel aspects of fish through the lens of the community, this time we are examining where we are as a community through the lens of fish. 
How did Fish, a band that is much larger than just the four musicians in it, respond to the pandemic after everything they and everyone planned for 2020 had to be canceled? And in the end, did they provide the panacea for a community-wide trauma? Or in hindsight, was it actually sci-fi soldiers inhabiting Fish's bodies that saved not just our community, but our entire planet? find answers for this, we went to the inner reaches of outer by talking internally with our Osiris team, the creatives who bring you Undermine, and some of our featured commentators from this season. Hey folks, I'm David Goldstein, one of the producers of the Undermine podcast, a former co-host of the Beyond the Pond podcast, and the current co-host of the Drop podcast with Brian Brinkman every Monday. My 2020, like I think many 2020s, was not awesome. On one hand, I realized it could have been so much worse. I feel very fortunate to have a lovely wife, two young daughters with a roof over our heads, and as of this recording, none of us have come down with COVID, knock on wood. But neither of those children had in-person school or daycare, and both mommy and daddy's work lives and sanity were significantly interrupted as a result. Our patience and the patience of parents around the world was tried like never before in history. So, on the off moments I had a second to think, I would turn to music, in particular, fish. Furthermore, the podcast I was working on did not stop when the pandemic did, so I was basically forcing myself to find time to listen to all kinds of music and fish whenever possible to have material to keep those podcasts going. So in a sense, Fish helped me get through 2020 by serving as a very necessary distraction. I needed podcast content, so I need to listen to Fish. I need to listen to music. And if it means doing it after both of my children have mercifully gone to sleep, then so be it. Thanks, David. Let's hear from Matt Dwyer, a full-time staffer here at Osiris, a producer on Undermine, and one of the mangoed feet-in-hand geniuses behind the incredible limited series podcast Alive Again, which detailed Trey Anastasio's solo career. I think my experience in the year 2020 is defined by a few things. One is a sense of anxiety overall about COVID. There were so many unknowns. We didn't know if we had to wipe down our groceries and our mail and everything coming into our house. So there was a lot of anxiety around that. I think there's also a lot of anxiety due to a lot of the issues going on in the world. Living here close to Washington, D.C., it was very evident in the summer of 2020 as there were Black Lives Matter protests happening. Living so close to the National Mall and the White House and where everything was going down, we had Black Hawk helicopters circling around constantly for weeks and fighter jets flying over and drones flying over. And I remember one night in particular, I think it was the night that they cleared Lafayette at Square, being able to hear off in the distance from my yard the bangs of the smoke bombs going off and the, the rubber bullets that were being shot. It was, it was very nerve-wracking, and so that kind of underscored just the, the anxiety that was going on throughout the entire year. Personally, I also experienced 
great career and life transition. I began a new career working for Osiris, left an old career, not by my choice, but everything that I thought that I was about to do in my life kind of went away and, and changed in, in a very positive way. That led to me finding kind of a new way of life, as many people have, of being at home, being closer to my family, being more connected to my neighbors, my neighborhood, and really just loving where I'm at and, and taking stock and taking appreciation of the simple things in life without constantly jet-setting and going off to shows and, and things like that. It was actually kind of jolting when we began going to shows again and planning travel and booking hotels and buying tickets and everything. It was these things that I was so good at before I had to kind of get used to again because I just I wasn't used to it and, and I adapted to this simpler way of life in so many ways. But that forced me to understand what's truly important in this world. And I think the silver lining of COVID overall for me was that there's no other circumstances under which I would have been able to spend as much time with my young child as I was able to in the past year and a half. So I, I try to be grateful for that. As we talked to our own staff and our special guests and commentators, we found a not entirely unexpected pattern. Everyone's pandemic experience was as unique to them as their fingerprints. And yet, remarkably, everyone's pandemic fish experience has remarkable similarities. As the pandemic kept us separated, leave it to those four cowfunkers from Vermont to unite an entire nation. Fish Nation. Fish personally helped me get through 2020 in so many different ways. That and this is the voice of Don Jenkins. I'll say right from the beginning, it amazed me how our community actually got closer, it seemed, during a time when there was no live music, when there was no music for us to go to, to be together. So it's like we rallied online and we rode this wave together. It's such a blessing to be part of this family and this community with that. Lockdown happened and Tom Marshall just started writing songs. It was right around that same time that and Trey was, you know, held up in his apartment there and started to put them out. And there was about a 12-day period, I want to say, it was, it was in March, where he was releasing a new song probably every other day there. Again, we'll go around the Undermine table, roundabout to Matt Dwyer, and then right round to Jonathan Hart. It's interesting because my final sort of real experience in the world before everything shut down was Mexico. Uh, a friend of mine talks about how he was in the airport in Cancun getting ready to fly back to the States and he was watching the news of stock market crashes due to this mysterious virus that was hitting the U.S. And, and what it was going to happen to us. And so a couple of weeks later when things shut down, we were very grateful that we'd had that one final chance to really, really have some fun. And I think I'll probably always think of that as the last event of the before times. I was not planning to see fish in 2020, but working on this podcast, I listened to a lot of old fish, a lot of stuff that I hadn't listened to in many years, digging back into the 80s. And that was, that was outstanding. That was a lot of fun. Really reconnected me with some of the stuff that I, I've long loved about this band. Yeah. 
One of the coolest things that happened early on in the pandemic, in my opinion, was the release of Sigma Oasis just a couple weeks into the pandemic. Nobody really knew what was going on, but having a listening party where everyone got to listen to new music together and and really be a community for the first time in a while, I think was really special. And, and that was that was a really awesome, awesome experience. And that album really was was on my heavy rotation for most of the year and, and still is. Thanks for your thoughts, RJ. Benji has both his hands raised over there. Put him up. Well, I'm just confirming and seconding what RJ had to say. You know, Sigma Oasis dropped at the peak of everyone's pandemic anxiety, right? We were all so isolated. I mean, many of us, myself included, of course, we were afraid to go outside. We were afraid of each other. We were afraid of the mail and of groceries and gas pumps. Our individual worlds all stopped. It seemed like the earth stopped spinning. Everything ground to a halt, except <laughs> except the internet. And then along came Fish, who went from being our heroes to being our superheroes. Maybe this was the first time that we actually saw a sci-fi soldier in that way, because Fish sure felt to me at least like they were superheroes here to save the planet. And suddenly all of our feelings of isolation and loneliness, they were magically transformed into a, a real and tangible sense of togetherness, despite physical separation. Our entire community was together. We were celebrating. We couldn't see each other, but we could feel each other. It helped that Sigma Oasis was completely loaded, start to finish, loaded, with exciting tapes on some of our favorite 3.0 songs. It was almost like we were all experiencing a brand new fish show together, but it was a studio product and we weren't together. At least not physically. Psychically, yes. And by the end of it, we had a new favorite album from our old favorite band. Now for correspondent and Undermine's first tubist, Drew Hits. In some ways, I felt like there was more fish than there was sports, which was also jarring. The release of Sigma Oasis that night, you know, and like everything's right, like goes like deep and then like modulates and like this like page is like the aliens are visiting and it's like a studio album and experiencing that in real time together at that time, which was when I was still, you know, scared of the air at that point. That was like this crazy unifying thing. That's what makes Twitter so special was the fact that I was experiencing that with so many people. Fish not playing was uh, was brutal. It was awful. I had seen a concert at Tanglewood, 
every summer since 1975. That streak was snapped last year. I mean, my first Boston Symphony concert, I was two weeks old. And so that was like, that was jarring. And so, yeah, and I'd seen Fish every summer that they had played since 94. So it was really, really hard, but I felt like because of the community, you know, I, I feel like I've kind of carved out a pretty special corner of Twitter in terms of like, you know, the, the dinner and the movies and stuff like that, that I get to enjoy it with. When he says dinner and a movie, he's not talking about a night at Olive Garden followed by the newest, fastest, and most furious at your local cinema. Fish announced their dinner and a movie series on March 23rd, 2020. So that was just two weeks into the pandemic. And for many of us, it became not only a weekly ritual, but a weekly oasis of joy, connectivity, and respite. Let's call on Undermine producer Matt Dwyer again. When dinner and a movie happened, that was a great thing for us, not just to be able to, to have a distraction every week, but early on connecting with our friends from all over the country or even just friends close by that we couldn't see. We would get on Zoom sessions while we were watching the show and we'd all see each other and our, we'd see each other's kids and, you know, we would have disco lights going and funny costumes and, and just to have that human connection in the first several months when we were really confined to our own home with just our family was extremely important. And I will forever be grateful to Fish for providing that experience. I don't know if they realized that that was what they were going to accomplish, but I think they did that for a lot of people. I know they did that for a lot of people. They certainly did that for me. And I bet they also did that for our producer, Brian Brinkman. Uh, the dinner and movies were probably the only routine for the first six months of the pandemic that, you know, just stuck and really helped to to get me through week to week to week. Um, I would do Zoom calls with a couple of buddies of mine who I see fish shows with before the shows to kind of recreate that lot experience and to recreate that experience of like hanging out before a fish show. That was really essential for a while there. Seeing a lot of the 3.0 shows was just such a cool trip through this recent history of the band. And I really enjoyed a lot of the selections that they made, especially in the initial part that, you know, helped me to listen to a couple shows most notably 102816 that I'd listened to, but I hadn't really gone back to on a regular basis. There's, there's so much fish out there, so much good fish out there. And like a show like that, experiencing that on a Tuesday night, random Tuesday night, the spring of 2020, something I wouldn't have done otherwise uh, was just a, an essential moment. When they started doing a lot of the 1.0 shows, though, like that was that was special. That gave fans like myself, who became fans of Fish in the hiatus back in 2001, this peek into a band that you knew about and you've heard and you've listened to and you've dedicated time to understanding and exploring. But to see it <laughs> was a totally different thing.
What do you say, RJ? The dinner and the movie shows, of course, were just incredible. I thought that uh, Virginia Beach 97 dinner and a movie really just kind of blew me away. That one was just so special because that was such an interesting time and really, I think, showed the band at this completely different but also equally intense period that, that they're in now. And um, I just I loved seeing that. I loved those shows going all the way back and then and then coming back to, to more recent shows. So I think the dinner and the movies were amazing. Dinner and a Movie was huge into making my 2020 more bearable. It was so exciting to see what they would announce and then to gear up for the shows after they announced them. At first, it started with, you know, 3.0 shows, and then they got into some early stuff and mid-90s stuff. And it was so cool to watch official footage of a show like the Game Hen Show at Great Woods in 1994, or a show that was my favorite show ever, the November 22nd, 1997 show at Hampton. And it was a great communal experience. And it was just so nice for those few hours to forget about the horrible pandemic that was going on around me and just remember the joy that the music of Fish brings me. That's the voice of Scotty B, the man responsible for a junkyard full of upside-down desks, the Fish Skinny, Friday Yem B, convos on Twitter, and during the daytime, editing Jam Bass. Here's another Scott who also deserves an emoji donut after his name, the fish Twitter equivalent of the blue check mark. I'm talking about Scott Marks, sitting member of the Mockingbird Foundation and CEO of Biz Archive. I've always had an appreciation for music, and I think it's helped fill a bit of a void in the last year plus with there being no real regular capacity concerts. The, the dinner and a movie stuff has, has definitely brought a sense of community together and longing for that live fish experience. We all waited months and months for that live fish experience. And so, well, what's another couple minutes? We'll be right back with more. Welcome back. We're now seven months into the pandemic. You can exhale. Time did not just bend backwards. We're just looking back. It's October 2020. Eager and antsy to play live again, but unable to perform in the same room as an audience, Trey Anastasio announced the Beacon Jams, a series of audienceless live streams from the Beacon Theater in New York City that would stream live every Friday for eight weeks, extending through Thanksgiving. Well, audienceless is true, but I was there. Once, anyway, for my birthday show, and what a gift it was. Thanks, Trey. The point of the live streams, though, was that we could all be there for free. 
every Friday night for two months straight. In the fall of 2020, as the pandemic raged outside, it was the best thing going. And even though it wasn't fish per se, it was undeniably a sort of rescue squad for Fish Nation. Here's Undermine producers Dave Goldstein and Jonathan Hart. When uh, Trey began to live stream the Beacon Jams each Friday night, those were therapeutic in a way that I had simply not imagined pre-pandemic. I looked forward to those. My wife, who isn't even really a fan, looked forward to those. It simply felt like a blessing and still does. They also served as a very welcome distraction from the constant fire hose of noise and stomach-curdling stress that was the 2020 election cycle and its aftermath. Remember that? And then the Beacon Jams happened, and that actually made me miss fish. They were uplifting and energizing, but also kind of excited me for the possibility of fish to come in 2021. Also, I think a lot of people think about their memories of the pandemic and fish and music. And what comes to mind to me is the Beacon Jams. And that was something out of nowhere that became so amazing and such a great distraction for the community. As I stare at my tray, Beacon Jams poster here over my desk, an amazing set of live streams that I think most people who have watched and listened and attended fish shows over the years would agree that that was some of the best music Trey's ever done with his community of of musicians. And so for me, fish was right there in 2020 as it's been a part of every decade uh, since 1995. Thanks for weighing in, Greg Stangle. He's on the Undermine team as well. Last week on the podcast, we heard from fish fans around the world. One of them was Jason Tully, an American fan, previously stationed in Korea. This is a long-distance call. Not being able to see fish, which, again, I see them twice a year. I had tickets. That was a real bummer. On the grand scale of things, it was a small inconvenience. The unknown of what was happening COVID was way more important than me not being able to go see my favorite band. But having fish do what they did which in particular, the dinner in the movies and the Beacon Jams was amazing. I mean, that, that was everything to me. I've never felt more connected to Trey than when he was reading comments during his ramblings and, and while laughing about him trying to pronounce people's usernames or whatever. I mean, to me, that was that was everything. And that, and that made, you know, it didn't make COVID all right. It didn't make 2020 all right. But that community sense of we're all in this together and here he is putting himself out there you know, just being his goofy self and doing those things, that was everything it was, it made, I think it gave me hope and, and a lot of people too. Thanks for holding. Still there, Benji? Well, it's just that the idea of the Beacon Jams was so incredibly noble. Sure, nobility really had nothing to do with the impetus, as, you know, Trey just wanted to play as badly as we wanted to see him play. But given the circumstance, I think the Beacon Jams served a much deeper, much, much more important function. There's the mental health aspect, sure, you know, for him, for all the players, and for all of us, but... But there's something deeper still. By September of 2020, October 2020, when the Beacon Jams actually launched, we had 
all been locked in our living rooms for over, more than half a year at that point, dying to get out, but it, it wasn't safe to leave. So Trey gave us a reason to stay home. Saturday through Thursday, sure, you know, many of us were clawing at the walls, we were zooming across space, we were taking potentially risky walkabouts, we were losing our minds. But come every Friday evening, that same exact space that felt like a prison the rest of the week, it was like our front row seat to see one of our favorite things in the world. Live music, brought to us by one of our favorite musicians, of course, Trey Anastasio. Suddenly there was no place else to rather be than our own living rooms, despite the fact that we hadn't left those living rooms, hadn't left our houses for more than half of a year. The Beacon Jams just ingeniously encouraged us to stay home, stay safe, and through the power of music, it also helped us to stay sane during what was a worldwide traumatic experience. And by being audienceless, there's, you know, there's no FOMO. Nobody missed out on anything by staying home. In fact, the only place to see the Beacon Jams was at home. That totally flipped the script and it offered us mental shelter while we continued to physically shelter in place. New Year's Eve 2020 was the first New Year's Eve in a dozen years that Fish didn't play a live concert. They've rung in a new year 13 times at Madison Square Garden, five times in Boston, three times in Miami, several times in Worcester, and once even in a swamp in the Everglades. But if Fish rose to the pandemic by finding new ways to bring their music and their live experience to people's living rooms, they, appropriately, used New Year's Eve to punctuate the theme of their own 2020 experience, connecting personally, if virtually and electronically, with their community. They did this the old-fashioned way, by challenging their audience to a game of chess. Let's hear from Undermine producer and female-centrics host, Don Jenkins. New Year's is, is my absolute favorite holiday. You know, so we had uh, about six of us here at my house. My friend came over and he set up all of his lights that he has for a band. And so we turned our living room virtually into a mini fish show and we hunkered down. Hands down, it was one of the best New Year's I've ever had. It, again, this vulnerability, this realness coming from the band of them, you know, playing chess with us. So, you know, overall, it was fish that help move me through 2020 and to keep the experience, to keep what was happening real, you know? We were still active. We were still a part of something bigger than we were at the time. We can't close out this season without one more check-in from our verified jaded vet, Charlie Dirksen. He was there, and he saw it all, and there's nothing more to see, 
And what's another New Year's Eve these days but more time that's passed since the non-existent Fire on the Mountain tease on New Year's Eve 1995? Don't hear it? Want to know where it is? Don't ask us. Ask him. Gosh, you know, where do you begin? It was one of the favorite shows, I would say, of most Fish fans, at least most Fish fans who had any kind of online presence back in the 90s, um, up until Cyprus. 1231.95 was just one of those incredible, magical, unforgettable nights of fish. First set has this gorgeous Reba, just this incredible Reba that um, I certainly keep going back to over and over again. It has this soaring Forbin's Mockingbird, just a fantastic version of that song. And then, of course, in the second set, you've got just this spectacularly good version of Drowned that opens the set and in my opinion for several minutes actually Trey appears to be teasing the Scarlet Fire you know Grateful Dead um, Scarlet Begonia's Fire on the Mountain transition And that, of course, segues into Lizards, and Lizards is just sublime. Just a just a near-perfect, frankly flawless, almost version of Lizards, um, you know, one of uh, my favorite fish songs. And then, you know, you've got this just breathtakingly good Mike song to close the second set. And that Mike song ends in a very unique way in that there's not only this digital delay loop coda, but like at the very end of the Mike song, um, there's like a sustained note um, which sort of has a vibration of life effect when they leave the stage and it's just it just gives me chills just thinking back to it it's it's one of those things that um, you know it's just so glorious in life that you're just it's just it was such a beautiful experience at the show and even just thinking back to it, it it's almost bringing tears to my eyes frankly You've got the you've got the third set. <laughs> you've got the third set of twelve thirty one ninety five, and it opens with you know this ridiculous, silly time lab BS, but it goes into this blisteringly good Wikipedia groove. I mean, to this day, one of the greatest versions of Wikipedia groove ever. Nonstop, incredible, and and that then segues into this just serene, gorgeous, you know transcendent practically version of sea and sand um just a magical version of sea and sand and then you enjoy myself in the third set i mean it's got two structurally distinct jam segments it's just either one of those jam segments would make that version of you enjoy myself one of the best versions of you enjoy myself ever you know to this day after you know more than 30 years of fish but it's got two it's got two just fantastic you know wonderful versions of uh, or jam segments rather and it's just one of those versions of yum that frankly i try to listen to every few months or at least every year
and then the fourth quarter in general of that third set it's just incredible um you've got sanity which was hilarious always hilarious frankenstein to close the set and the the show and then of course well the show closed with with Johnny B. Good, which was just fantastic. Um, a blazing hot encore, you know, late at night, just in, just incredible energy, um, fierce, ferocious energy. I, uh, <laughs> just an incredible fish show, start to finish, and very, very powerful. Um, it obviously still moves me just to, just to think about it again. And frankly, you know, it's no wonder that, you know, in lieu of playing Madison Square Garden because of the pandemic, fish webcast 1231.95 to everybody for free on um, 12.31.2020. Gosh, I'm looking forward to seeing fish again. Thanks, Charlie. We know you love to fluff. Speaking of fluffheads, who's this dude? It was weird not being at fish in many decades for the New Year's time. But as usual, John Fishman stole a show. Fish came out in that baby bonnet. It's just the funniest thing. <laughs> you look at that guy playing drums in the diaper and a bonnet. And that is what fish is all about. What an amazing show that was in 95 and just brilliant in every way and it's hard to believe all these years later they're still kicking out the jams there that's steve pollack aka the dude of life let's go back to don jenkins who saw trey play solo acoustic and in person this past summer in saratoga springs new york take off take off take off your mask the fears and illusion don't even ask you're finally weightless so take to the you're already there. My fish experience for 2021 has been awesome. So when Trey released uh, his tour that he was going to be starting the solo tour at SPAC, I had a wedding on that Saturday and another wedding on Sunday. And I live in Maine, so I kind of just was, oh, you know, I'm not going to be able to go to New York for one night. And so I just sort of, you know, put it aside and pretended it wasn't happening until somebody said, oh, we've got a ticket for you for Friday night. <laughs> and then I, I quickly figured out how to get to New York and back again for a wedding <laughs> by four o'clock the next day because I knew I just had to be there for the moment he walked on stage with us. I had said that the whole time. It, it was one of those things for us within our community. I realized how important it was and how lucky I really was to be part of this. This is just unbelievable, you guys. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Anyone who has seen Trey acoustic during any year will tell you that it feels special with elements of a campfire hang, elements of a fish deconstruction exercise, elements of Kumbaya, and elements of the curtain lifting behind the Wizard of Oz, or Gamehenge. But ask anyone who attended or even heard a live electric Trey Anastasio band show from fall 2021, and they will tell you that it was also a very special experience, far different from any tab tour prior and in so many ways. Let's get the live tweet recap from Biz Archive, Scott Marks. We'll even give him more than just 280 characters. I ended up doing two shows from the Tab Tour this fall, the opening night at Thompson's Point in Portland and the first night of Radio City toward the end of the tour, which kind of gave me a perspective for what had happened at the start and what had happened at the finish with a bunch of changes in between. Thompson's Point was the first Tab performance since Tony Markellis had passed away earlier this year. James Casey was also sidelined for the tour while battling colon cancer. 
This was also the first actual public performance for the band since before the pandemic hit, as they had done a bunch of shows for the Beacon Jams last year. It was great having Tab back, but it was kind of difficult with those two mainstays missing when you're so used to seeing them night after night after night and they weren't there. The difference with Desmond Douglas appearing with Tab was immediately noticeable. The bass line was slightly different on a bunch of songs. And again, we're used to hearing it with One Way for Tony and now it's a different feel. But everything's right, so just hold tight. 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 Coach Shimea Gastelum fit in perfectly with the horns, and the show went off without a hitch. Next night, he wasn't there, and so Jeff Crespin filled in in Boston, resulting in a rare evening with two trombones, which for me, having grown up playing a trombone, I thought was really cool to listen to. And then things went further awry with Jen Hartswick getting COVID, and then the horns were gone, and then Russ Lawton having COVID, and all of a sudden, you're looking at Trey doing a solo acoustic show, and then the next night, Fishman ended up joining, and so you had a quintet with Fishman and everybody else that was there previously, minus the horns. And you're looking at shows where they're doing 20-minute jams for the first time since 2008 on a consistent basis. And while 20-minute jams don't mean necessarily better, it, it gave the chance to see what this band was capable of in this this new ensemble. It was special. Every night, there seemed to be something different going on, and they kind of made lemonade with lemons, and it was just a, a really great experience catching shows either through live fish or actually being there in person for it. This fall, Trey's band was dismantled limb by limb and reinvented, redefined, as the struggle and strife of human mortality and a global pandemic took their tolls on a perfectly planned Trey Anastasio band tour. Undermined scholars will recognize that voice as belonging to Dr. Stephanie Jenkins, one of the distinguished voices from our community and from this season of Undermine. Here she details how after Trey lost James Casey for the tour and the world tragically lost bassist Tony Marcalis for good, Trey soldiered onwards with his solo band, only to find that the hits kept coming. Despite safety protocols, Jen Hartswick tested positive for COVID. Tab would then proceed without the horn section, which for some fans is the defining characteristic of Tab. Next, despite safety protocols, Russ Lawton tested positive for COVID. Trey would perform solo acoustic. At this point in the tour, September 28th at Express Live in Columbus, Ohio, with Trey stripped down to himself and his guitar, we nervously joke about this being the Survivor Tour. While the comparison highlights the dramatic loss of Trey's bandmates, it overemphasizes the band members as individuals. Survivor is a competitive reality TV show, after all. If we think about the band itself as a biological organism, an interconnected, breathing, living being, we get a better sense for how strong and intimate the ties between bandmates can be, for how disruptive and painful it can be to lose an original bandmate, bass player, and friend, for how replacing the entire rhythm section of a band is like performing a heart and lung transplant on a person. Just like our lungs and immune systems, the music itself was under attack by biological warfare. But because this organism comes from the land of Gamehenge, 
It's a lizard and can regenerate. With pain, loss, and rearrangement comes rebirth, improvisation, risk-taking, and creativity. Bassist Desron Douglas offered a jazzy, adventurous foundation that took tab standards in new directions. In Pittsburgh, John Fishman joined the stripped-down band to conjure the tour's first four-song set in the first set. I listened to this set with headphones the next day on my daily walk. The 46 Days Jam energy was so powerful that I fell down on the sidewalk and made a life-altering decision. What did that jam do to you? Experiences like this for music is so compelling that it elicits uncontrollable physical responses. It's what philosopher Jeanette Bicknell terms strong emotional responses to music. We sometimes call this it. It's not an accident that the energy, creativity, and complexity of the jams intensified over the course of the tab tour. The band was responding to increasingly difficult personal and professional circumstances. The music, audience, and band were all threatened by COVID. The losses experienced during this tour, both final and temporary, exemplify the vulnerability and finitude of human existence itself. And yet, music is the antidote. The tour went on. James Casey made a special surprise appearance for the final Radio City Music Hall show. And Fish went on to destroy the West Coast with their own fall tour. Yes, music is the antidote. The tour went on. And then, did Fish actually destroy the West Coast? Literally? Metaphorically? Musically? You probably already know the answer, but stick around anyway for the final counts as we assess the damage. And then there was Fish. Against all odds, adversity and the unpredictability of a deadly virus that overshadowed literally everything for everyone for the past two years, Fish kicked off a summer tour that many felt would never make it to its final destination. Not only did summer tour make it to Dick's, and then the fall tour make it to its chilling, thrilling conclusion in Las Vegas, but Fish played a total of 35 shows in 2021. More than half, more than half, of which were instant classics. That was also against all odds, and yet, here we are, with the streams to prove it. And statistics, too. According to Undermine correspondent and professional pollster Ben Greenfield's latest online survey, nearly 95% of the 1,000-plus respondents felt that this past tour was better than the average tour from the last few years. For a community often divided, that is an astounding number of thumbs pointing up. What's more... Three out of four thought that this year was above average even when weighed against Fish's entire history. Five pounds? Six pounds? Despite very different personal choices, comfort levels, and ethical viewpoints regarding attending Fish shows in the midst of a pandemic, the Fish community hasn't been this much in agreement about the actual performances since we all agreed that Coventry was muddy. But we can't ignore COVID. Almost everyone that responded to the question on Greenfield's online survey said they are vaccinated. About one in six even got a booster before attending a fall show. For all the online shaming about images of largely maskless crowds in the live streams, more than half of those surveyed said they wore a mask at least some of the time, like on the way in or out. Not surprisingly, there was a substantial jump in the number of people who masked up once the shows moved inside. However, even then... Only about one in six claim they stayed masked 
for the duration. Now, you can do the armchair analysis, but many respondents said they did not get sick afterwards. Still, 86 fans who responded revealed that they tested positive for COVID after returning home, and even more said they fell ill but didn't test. All things considered, that feels like a lot. Nearly 10% of the total. And we wish all of you, included in that statistic, a speedy and full recovery. With the Las Vegas shows in particular getting the dreaded super spreader title from the national news, nearly half of those surveyed said they would still feel somewhat safe at Fish. Interestingly, another quarter of them said they would feel very safe, and then the final quarter of them said they would feel very unsafe attending a Fish show right now, given the current conditions and the state of the pandemic. So, how about that Coventry mud? Here's Dave Goldstein and Brian Brinkman with color commentary from Beyond Their Pond. As goes 2021, I was initially hoping that this summer tour would usher in a huge freedom from COVID celebration with a bunch of maskless revelers singing during Sigma Oasis. I had tickets to see the band in Nashville, Tennessee, which is one of my favorite cities and always has been a dream of mine to see them there. But after a triumphant June in which I started seeing live music again, the Delta wave of COVID once again put a damper on things. Despite being fully vaccinated, I sold my Nashville tickets. But a funny thing happened in that tour continued, the band managed to stay healthy, and by and large, the shows were awesome. Maybe the most consistently inventive fish summer since 2015. I look forward to the webcast every night like my seven-year-old looks forward to dessert. And if it didn't feel entirely the same, the shows were still crowded, the playing was top-notch. Fish played a show in Noblesville, Indiana that I would put toe-to-toe with their best two-set shows of the past ten years, and then practically topped it a few weeks later outside of San Francisco. And as of recording, Fall Tour has arguably been the most inventive, interesting, and unpredictable the band has been since the fall of 1997. I'm serious. Clearly, Fish was as bored, as frustrated, and sometimes as scared as we were, and they channeled such feelings into an immense period of creativity and growth. You know, at the start of 2021, the idea of just seeing a fish show seemed impossible still. And I think back to the early part of this this year and into the spring before I got vaccinated, before cases started dropping in the springtime, that this idea of seeing the band was becoming fleeting. It felt like in February, March, that there was a real possibility that we would not see fish until 2022 at the earliest. So them simply announcing their tour, focusing as much time out west as they have, just knowing that you know, like on July 28th, that there were people that were walking into a fish show and that were going to smell what a fish show smells like. If you've been to one, you know, it's like you get a lot of crap for the way that a fish show is supposed to smell, but like a fish show smells like something really special to me. And the lights being on the stage and the kind of constant murmur in the crowd as, as, as showtime approaches and the anticipation when you realize, oh man, we're probably five minutes out from lights. And then the band walks on and say all, all those sorts of things, like knowing on that day that there were people that were experiencing that was, um, was really special for me.
It's one thing for our Undermine team to comment on the most recent Fish Tour. Of course, they love the shows. But let's get the perspective of someone who shares the band's stage view and who caught a few Fish shows in 2021 himself, Joel Cummins, who plays keyboards in Umphreys McGee. Yep, Umphreys does have a keyboardist, or so say the members of PLJ, people for a louder Joel. We hear you, Joel. You know, and I think this is probably true for, for Fish. It's definitely true for Umphreys is that, you know, we also got to spend all this time at home working on music, not traveling. I honestly got more playing time in probably in 2020 than, than I have in, you know, 15 years. Those of us who, you know, love music and are really dedicated to it, it's, it's just been a huge kind of re- restart or, you know, refresh on all of our playing and trying to come up with different things. And, you know, having all that time in a big chunk was really helpful to kind of get into learning mode again and, and to take a deeper dive into stuff. And obviously there's, there's guys like Fishman who are practicing hours a day on the road, even when they are playing a three hour show. And you can hear it in the command that he has of his entire palette of drums, right? I mean, this guy is, he's, uh, He's, he's one of the most consistent and creative players out there. But I, I, I think that's something that you're, you're hearing a lot in kind of, you know, bands going in a slightly different directions uh, now that they're coming back. It's kind of allowed us to take that step back and inject some new sounds and new ideas into our music. Yes, the pandemic pause led Joel and his musical colleagues to inject new sounds into their music. Well, the rest of us had an opportunity to inject new ideas into our daily lives. The pandemic afforded us all time to reflect, restructure, recollect, rev up, and in some cases, even launch a podcast. Individually and collectively, we were able to look back and look ahead, kind of at the same time. Relics Magazine Editor-in-Chief Mike Greenhouse looks both ways before crossing this street for us. Of course, I think uh, for a lot of longtime Fish fans, one of the highlights of the fall was Fish finally debuting And So To Bed, the track off the white tape, uh, Fish's first album, uh, which was kind of their demo album, which just shows that really, you know, still almost 40 years into the band's career, no songs are really off the table and anything could happen. Same thing happened a few years ago when they debuted End of Session, the coda of Story of the Ghost during the Baker's Dozen. And it was actually interesting. I was thinking a lot about um, how during the pandemic, Trey was writing a lot of music and recording a lot of music and Lonely Trip came out of those sessions. And in a lot of ways, that was uh, exactly how he wrote some of that white tape material uh, at home with a recorder and uh, some friends occasionally collaborating in different ways. And of course, you know, many of those songs and the songs that came after them developed into some of the early Fish repertoire. And in the same way, the Lonely Trip material and some of the other um, nuggets of song ideas that Trey was working on while we were all um, sheltering in place have developed into this uh, new selection of Fish originals. So while you're on this lonely trip, keep a watch for other ships. 
And now back to letting our staff hold the mic. Here's Matt Dwyer again, followed by the female-centric Don Jenkins. The, the last way that I think Fish helped me get through the entire year of 2020 was having a goal for what re-entry into real life would look like. I think, you know, we just kept thinking that once we can go to a Fish show again and dance and celebrate with our friends, that would mean that it's over. Of course, now we know that that wasn't really true, but I think it was good to have that goal throughout the entire last year, just to not be wandering aimlessly and hoping that things were going to get better, but know that there was really something that we were working towards again. Uh, so summer tour started. We started summer tour with my friends at a barn, and they had a 12-foot blow-up scream. <laughs> and so we danced our tushies off there. And I, and I remember at one point, you know, when Fishman's playing his really weird, like, yeah, and like all that, I'm looking over at my friend and we're like, what the hell is that sound? <laughs> Which quickly just became part of Fishman's sounds. And we just kind of rolled with it. Undermine head writer Benji Eisen is known through his other endeavors as having a bit of a gonzo streak. But here he comes off as a bit more conservative. Don't worry, we're not talking politics. Fish's grand return was undeniably political in some ways. It divided the fan base in the same way that the pandemic further divided the nation. There were fans who thought that it was too soon, fans who thought that it was unsafe, fans who thought it's time, fans that thought it's fine, and fans who just didn't care one way or another as long as we got our band back. Well, I'm very COVID cautious. Uh, it turns out that I play pandemics safe. And I, uh, I was and I, I just am completely thrilled that live streams are a thing, that they even exist. It's just such a luxury. I, you know, I, I treated the live streams like actual shows, making sure, you know, I wasn't late. I had taken care of all the things. I cleared dance space in front of my TV. I turned my phone on silent. I watched all of them in real time. Anyone, if I wasn't at the show, I was watching the live stream in real time, like I was on tour with my own private portal. I was absolutely convinced. I liked it just as much as being at a natural show. That is until I went to Shoreline, and then it was like, you know, oh, yeah, <laughs> the feeling I forgot. Somehow, you know, live fish is just even, it's even more rich and it's even more multidimensional than I had remembered. You know, and after Shoreline, I, I immediately added additional live shows to my docket. I caught a, a dozen more between summer and fall and never once did I wish that I was home instead. I wore an N95 mask the entire time that I was inside the venues, the entire time that I was dancing, which really didn't decrease my enjoyment at all once you got used to that. I didn't catch COVID and I was there. But, you know, that said, I, I, I truly, truly, truly love couch tour, especially when I do it alone and I can dance because no one's watching. Moving to 2021, Fish was once again center of my music world and my day-to-day, -day, there was always music on at my house. And I think being able to go see shows again was such a relief and so great to be back in the scene. And now I got to do it with new friends and old friends. I'll never forget the first notes from, from the Nashville shows and being back. It was so great. 
And I think one of the best and most rewarding parts about being a fish fan is they keep getting better, man. And Trey's sound, and I personally am a huge fan of understanding his guitar rig and all the content that is out, not only from our company, but across the internet. We're all still hungry for more. And being a father of three kids, I will tell you there is nothing more fun than sharing the music teaching them about the different songs and the different meanings. And again, I think comfort is a word that comes to mind when I think about what fish has meant to me the last year and a half. It's been amazing to get back out on tour. I was very fortunate to see a number of shows in the summer and Las Vegas as well. Seeing friends that we literally haven't, in some cases, seen in, in two years because of the pandemic has been incredible. The shows have been amazing. Now, there is the sort of looming anxiety of COVID because we're not out of the clear yet. But I think that it's been able to provide a few hours of respite and relaxation and joy back into our lives and, and help us kind of celebrate life again. The band is playing amazing this year. We've talked about that at length in other places, but I just think that they're clearly in a, in a great headspace. They have practiced so much while they were in quarantine and I think they were all just so hungry to hit the stage again, and you can see it. The metaphor that I used was the first night in Arkansas, Trey looked like he was a bull being let out of a cage. I mean, he was just ready to fight. I think we've seen that throughout all of the summer tour and, and definitely in the fall tour. I think that there's also, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I think there's a sense of the band rewarding the fans for getting through difficult times. You know, overall, in what we've all experienced and being able to try to get back to some sort of normalcy. But there's also micro examples like the Shoreline shows where fans kind of faced adversity, whether they were Tahoe residents who were worried that their houses might be engulfed in flames or fans who had to change travel plans. They clearly came out and wanted to reward the fans for what they had been through as a part of that experience. And that just tells me how connected they are to the community uh, after all this time and how much they think about us and what we're experiencing. I, I really can't think of many other artists in the history of rock and roll that are that sensitive about the needs of their audience. And it's, it's pretty incredible. I've not had a chance to go to Mexico before, and I've always wanted to dance in the ocean to fish. So to have that opportunity was just awesome. It was everything. I feel like, you know, with Atlantic City, it's, it's like fish's playpen you know, for us. And it kind of keep us all contained. We're all on the on the boardwalk and just having having the best time ever. And I think, you know, right at the beginning, it was a little, you know, they were kind of getting their groove back on. But by the time they hit us, it was just every single show was just got better and just got better and just got better.
you know, from the second set of Arkansas into that first weekend in Alabama and Alpharetta, Nashville, the Deer Creek run the following weekend, like we got a very clear picture of a band that was ready to play and that felt two competing ideas, one of which being total joy and total gratitude that they're able to play music again in front of their fans and one of a band that is kind of pissed off that they had a year ripped away from them without them asking for it. They didn't need a break, it sounds like. And so there's there's this like kind of aggression mixed with joy and bliss. I, I, personally, I think it, it's best signified in the second set at Deer Creek night one, where they play this just incredibly joyful and blissful jam out of Blazon, followed by an aggressive dive into Hades out of Simple. took away from one of the shows I saw at Chula Vista is just how in the moment they are and, and how hard that is as an exercise that you can see the way that they work and the way that they operate and like the way that they move that like these are not guys that are rushing through a show. They're not trying to get to something. They're playing what they think is right in that moment and letting that guide them. And, and right now they feel an incredible amount of confidence to explore all these various areas within their songs and outside of their songs. And, and those two things are kind of leading up to this band that is just really, really inspired right now. And, and so appreciating them and walking into this tour, thinking about them as just simply a band and as friends who started a band when they were 18 and had no idea where it was going to go, just really made me appreciate the subtle moments, made me appreciate the ballads that were played throughout the year so, so tenderly and so like driven by emotion. Uh, it's made me really just like be blown away by the jams and, and the setless construction and, and everything that's come with Fish 2021. If we're going to talk about sci-fi soldier, and we should, well then first let me say that even if you take away the content, the concept alone was a thousand percent in line, in tune, on brand, with Fish's entire Halloween history. And they outdid themselves once again, while, as always, defying all expectations. I'm getting the sense that Benji wants to talk about Halloween. Now is the time I'm when we discuss sci-fi Well, first of all, the band did perform Halloween shows before they began the tradition of a Halloween gag. But the holiday changed as relates to Fish in 1994 when they announced that they would be covering a complete album as their musical costume. A complete album. The selection that year was allegedly influenced by official fan mail-in voting, but it may have been rigged. There were multiple votes by two people named John and Paul. The winner was the Beatles' White Album. Well, after that, it became tradition for the band to don a musical costume on Halloween, making the holiday super exciting for fans, and in my own opinion, it's the most exciting fish run of the year every year that they do it. But 
when they started creating their own original musical costumes, beginning with Wingsuit, they elevated the entire game and they blew the possibilities wide open while embracing their own favorite number one mandate, never be predictable. And by matching original musical costumes and original concepts with original music, Fish has taken to universe building. You know, it's like the MCU for Gamehenge. And it's been controversial ever since. Well, let's not forget, it's been controversial since the very beginning, back in 1994, when the rumor was that Frank Zappa's Joe's Garage actually won the fan vote. With Wingsuit, the fans made it confusingly clear that not all Fish fans want to hear new Fish material in lieu of a surprise cover album. But if it's new material that has been wrapped under Cloak and Dagger as a special effects album... or a fictional underground pop band from Scandinavia? Or alien beings from another place, another time, inhabiting Fish's bodies to receive inspirational messages of guidance from a made-up band that Fish once pretended to cover in order to save the planet? reaction is going to be all over the place, but mostly that of praise, approval, and appreciation. Let's hear from Mr. Miner, Dave Calarco, who was such a huge voice for us on Undermine this season. Uh, there's this weird dynamic in part of the fish community where people don't like new music. I love new fish music. I love hearing new fish songs for the first time. I love watching them develop. I mean, that's like the the freaking crux of who they are. Like they never sit on their laurels. They're always moving forward. Like they wouldn't be fish otherwise, right? I've just been informed that we have Disco Biscuits keyboardist Aaron Magner on the line. I guess he heard Joel Cummins weigh in earlier. The Disco Biscuits performed three late-night shows at the Brooklyn Bowl Las Vegas following Fish's first three nights on their Halloween run. That gave them Halloween off, allowing Magner and his bandmate, previous Undermine contributor Mark Brownstein, to go trick-and-treating at the MGM Grand with Sci-Fi Soldier. So, Magner, what'd you think? There were a few things that really stood out to me as absolutely spectacular during that set. First and foremost is just the band's continued dedication to just wow the audience. I mean, that is not an easy thing to do. And it's not just the playing, it's the creative. The band's drive to push the boundaries and to write and to rehearse and to be inventive. I mean, not to mention the ability to keep everything a secret from what's actually a pretty tight-knit community. I mean, they can't even keep their tour dates a secret, like ever. 
just this constant artistic drive is so commendable. And of course, for me, hearing a keyboard setup concentrating on mainly synths and coupled with seemingly new effect pedals from Trey and Mike was just musically really fun. Not only was I thoroughly entertained and completely fulfilled, but I felt such gratitude to be surrounded by a crew of people and close friends that I've known for decades. And though we all lead vastly different lives, our love for each other, introduced initially by our mutual love of music, was what made that concert experience so impactful. Time to bring it all home. We're about to hear final thoughts from Dave Goldstein, RJB, Matt Dwyer, Jonathan Hart, and Brian Brinkman in that order. So memorize it. Finals are around the corner. Here I am at age 42, following a band I first got into when I was 14. And to paraphrase the recent Trey song, I've never needed fish like this before. I don't think that fish has ever needed fish like this before. To be able to listen to a band that I've loved for so long, continue to be great and blow my mind and make me feel all the feelings that take me back to being 14 years old again and discovering the power of live music for the first time, there are simply no words for how grateful I am for this band in 2021. I got to say, these guys are playing at a level that um, I haven't seen in a really, really, really long time, if not ever. I think the the communication and also the willingness to experiment is just at a peak right now. It's been so fun. I can't believe these fall shows we're seeing. I can't believe how much improv we see and how much there's just a fearlessness that is admirable and inspirational. And it's just incredible. I think throughout the pandemic and then coming into 2021, you know, as a company, we've become more focused on really refining our content about fish. And I think that's kind of changed my perspective on the band. Doing season one of Undermine on the 80s and listening to almost every show available from the 80s showed me again how fish refined their their art and their craft over the years. And by the end of the decade, they were a completely different band than they were at the beginning of the 80s. And I feel like for us as a company talking about fish, our content has become a lot more refined and a lot more focused and hopefully a lot better. And so my perspective has changed only in that I I really admire them even more as a band and, and as a unit being able to continue on for this long and consistently reinvent themselves in ways that carry on all the great traditions from from what they've always done but also add new music new layers new inside jokes new communities all into the mix and it's just it's incredible i can't wait to see where we go from here but uh really happy to be in the place we are now i think to sum up the way that my perspective has changed i would refer to a quote from the late great warren zevon who when asked by david letterman as he was close to death from cancer if he had any advice for people uh, and his response was enjoy every sandwich and I think that's kind of what we're learning here. It's so easy for people to become jaded and to take fish and other forms of art and recreation and enjoyment too seriously and for me it's been a way to hit the reset button and just go to the shows and enjoy them for what they are and maybe you don't get the perfect second set that you're looking for but you were at the place and you were having fun with your friends and that's something that we weren't 
able to do for a very long time. And the appreciation that I have for the artists that I love, not just Fish, everybody, and not being able to see them live for so long, not being able to be as part of a community to experience music for so long has me really enjoying music, I think in a way that I haven't since I was probably a, a kid. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I've long looked to Fish as an escape hatch for my day to day, but also an opportunity to recharge. Being in the room or not, just getting a fresh batch of material from when they've been out on tour, putting it into my brain through my ear holes. It fills me with an energy that I don't get anywhere else. Getting new fish as frequently as we have since this summer has been really invigorating and fun, and it's been a delight. I love this band. The way fish has been playing is, is something I hope to take with me for years to come because it's been incredibly inspiring. Speak for yourself, Brian. Just kidding. I actually do agree. I agree with all of it. My name is Tom Marshall, and I've got a podcast, and it's called Undermine, and you've just listened to it. Our third season will throw you another curveball as we bend time itself to go back to the days before America was destroyed by a rock band and excavate untold rock and roll history for your listening pleasure. And if you excavate enough, you undermine. Thank you, and good night. Undermine is brought to you by Osiris Media, the leading music storyteller. Executive producers are Tom Marshall, RJB, Brian Brinkman, and Matt Dwyer. Written by Benji Eisen. Produced and edited by Brian Brinkman. Mixed and mastered by Matt Dwyer. Produced by David Goldstein, Jonathan Hart, Brad Tenbrook, and Don Jenkins. Production assistance and writing by Noah Eckstein and Julia Schuster. Social media by Nick Sejas. Original music by Amar Sastry. Show art by Mark Dowd. Thank you to all our interviewees. This season of Undermine is all about the fish community. And since that's you, go ahead, get online and judge us. Please rate and review us on your podcaster, if it's favorable, that is. Oh, and your tour buddies would love a link to this episode, so don't let them down. And while you're at it, they want your extra mail orders, too. Next season, not on Undermine. Um, I think there's times when, you know, let's say the pandemic hit that you know, I was confused and didn't know what to do. I found myself going back to stuff I was very familiar with, that I had experiences with in the past that was comforting and really, you know, uplifting. But now that I'm kind of back into full-blown memo mode, like I like the I like the unique stuff. So you know, so it's a, it depends where my mood is at, and you know, I do a lot of both. I seek out stuff that I, I love and familiar with. It that's very, you know, it's almost like a homey quality. And then I I like the weird stuff too. I like the weird stuff a lot. <laughs> Thank you.
Osiris. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.